Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. I'll be reading from verse 9 through verse 26, and this is a prayer of Jesus. So we're coming in half, halfway through his prayer, and he says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, even as you have loved, loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved, the wor- loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word. It is a gift to us, and we pray, Lord, that as Pastor Mike comes to share, that that word would sink deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Keith, when he's been gone, always comes up in front of us and said, hey, I was gone last week. Did you miss me? You know, I don't have that kind of confidence, because I, I was gone last week, too, and I, I want to come up and say, hey, did you miss me? And I'm afraid you'll say, mm, was Mike gone last week? Uh, or, or worse, some of you in the back are saying, who is that guy anyway? So um, I was gone last week to this blessed event. Um, my future son-in-law, Cameron Scott, has become the uh, youth pastor at Altoona, First, uh, Altoona United Methodist Church, uh, so we were there celebrating with him, and it was a great day for uh, my daughter Sarah and Cameron as they start that ministry together there. So thanks for letting us go. The last, uh, I don't know, three, four, five months, Pastor Keith and I have been guiding you through the book of Acts. Specifically, we're, we've been looking at Acts to say where the church came from, what was its base, what is it saying to us. And we use the, the ministers of Acts, Peter, uh, Paul, uh, Silas, uh, you know, the, all, all the ministers, and talked about them as ministers. 
Then we talked about what their message was. Then we talked about their mission. And then lastly, we talked about their method. And then the last week or so, uh, two weeks, Pastor Keith and I uh, were granted the opportunity by you to do the same thing about us, to share our own testimony, to share who we are as pastors and so forth. And we, we did all that so that you might know where the church has come from so that now we can turn our attention to see where the church is going. Now, the church came from a position of, of, of simplicity. The church comes to being for the purpose of transforming the world for Christ. That's why the church comes up in the beginning, because of this. See, transformation, by its definition, means that things are not right or things need to be changed. They need to transform into something else. We can clearly see this as we read the Bible story. That's why I encourage those second graders to get into that Bible story. Because page one of the Bible says this, and I paraphrase, God was so in love that he spoke it. And he spoke creation into being. And creation was perfect, pure, and holy. It was good. Because our God is perfect, pure, and holy. One of his last acts of creation was to create humanity. And he created humanity in the same way to a point that he did everything else. Out of the dust and the dirt, he made them. You know, he made all that. But humanity, there's this big distinctive difference. And it's important that we understand this difference because if we don't understand the difference between us and all the other creatures of the world, we're not going to understand anything because this is the difference. God draws the man. He draws humanity close to him and he breathes his spirit into him. Now, I don't know how many of you have been close enough to someone else to get their breath into you. But you've got to be close. So God is so intimately close with humanity that he breathes his breath, the breath of the spirit, into us and gives us life. And in page one of the Bible and page two of the Bible, Everything is pure and righteous and holy, just as God as righteous and holy. And in page three, things begin to change. You see, God, not wanting us all to be puppets, allowed evil to exist. And he allows us to make the choice to be with him who is pure, perfect, and holy, or to choose our own way, the way of evil. And throughout the generations, or at least that first generation, humanity began to align itself with that which drew us away from God, not towards God. It started to align with evil, not the pure, perfect, and holy God. So God sees this happening, and in his frustration, he wipes the map clean. He drops the flood in on humanity. The whole world is destroyed except a remnant and says, I'll make a new covenant with you. I shall never destroy you again like that. But please, I admonish you, come and live with me. It's pure, perfect, and holy. And yet, nary a generation goes by before humanity again begins to align with that which is evil before humanity again begins to align with that which takes us away from God. So God created the law, gave it to Moses, gave it to our generations of forefathers and mothers that preceded us. And the law was not like we sometimes think. 
We oftentimes think of laws of things that tell us what not to do. And certainly those things are in the Ten Commandments and the other laws that we find in the Old Testament. But the purpose that God gave the law was this, to give us humanity directions as to how we might live like he would desire us to live, how we might live at one with him by following the commandments. And of course, we know the story. When given opportunity to come closer to God, humanity again resisted that. But God, so in love with us, sent the prophets. And he sent the prophets like Amos and Hosea and Micah and Obadiah and Habakkuk and Isaiah and Jeremiah and one after another. They came and by and large, most of the prophets have the same message, although said to different populations and said in different ways. And that is a call to people to come to God, to turn from their wicked ways of evil and repent and align their spirits once again with God, to come be part of the perfect, holy, wonderful life that God had given them. And, and so every prophet comes, and most prophets are killed or rejected. They're all rejected because humanity once again chooses to align itself not with God, but with that that takes us away from God. So God... And we read this clearly in our biblical story. It's right in the core of it. God then in his love for humanity said, I am going to become one of them. Not as one of them. Not, not as some sort of a myth or legend. I'm going to become one of them. No other religion in all of the world has this component in it. A lot of religions will tell you that you can become like God or that you can become a God. But there's no other religion other than Christianity that says, and our God became one of us. This is known as the incarnation. God incarnate, God in the flesh, comes to live among us as Jesus Christ. And he shows us the way. Not only does he show us how to live, he shows us how God lives, and he calls us to live with God. And we find in this scripture that we're talking about today, and we'll be talking about in depth in just a, a few moments, that, God, that Jesus is calling us again to himself so that we might live now and forever with a pure, holy, and wonderful God. And of course, we know that we can be at one through Jesus Christ, and yet many, many people still choose against us. And the apostles, those ones that we, Keith and I have talked about for the last months, the apostles came and gave witness to Jesus Christ. They came and gave witness to the incarnation to offer him to the world so that the world might be transformed, so that the world won't be left rebelling against God, the world won't be left far from God, but that every human person in the world might be transformed in such a way that they come to be at one with God. Brothers and sisters, this series is all about that, where Keith and I are going in, in the next few weeks. It's about what we as Christians must offer to God for the transformation of the world for Christ. That's what this is all about. So let me give you some baselines. I'm a United Methodist pastor. You're aware of that, right? Didn't have anybody slip into the wrong place. What? Where's Casey's? I thought I was there. Um, I'm a United Methodist pastor. So I know some of our United Methodist liturgy. In our United Methodist liturgy, and I'm going to ask 22 students next week to repeat it with me as they become full members of our United Methodist Church here at First UMC. 
In our United Methodist Liturgy, we ask this question. This is the crowning question of our membership vows. There are profession of faith vows, for sure, but this is the crowning jewel of our membership vows. We ask every person, every student that wants to become part of First United Methodist Church as a member this question. As members of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your witness, and your service? And I know what some of you are saying. Okay, pastor, I know it's fall. We're back from our uh, summer break, some of us. So this is the membership drive, right? This is the membership drive. This is when the pastor is trying to close and get people into members. Well, of course, yes and no. Pastor Keith and I wouldn't be very good pastors if we weren't always encouraging people to become a part of our fellowship in a more intimate and deeper way. And no, am I trying to get you to sign on the dotted line of the United Methodist Church, but I do ask you to listen carefully. See, because I think there's two concerns that always come up to me when people are talking about becoming, you know, engaged as a member in the local church. And one of them is this. It says, I don't agree with everything the church does. Welcome aboard. (laughs) I don't agree with everything the church does either. To me, to me, that, that, that kind of comment kind of relates like this. Here, here's my response. I believe that God gifted me with the perfect woman for me. I think my marriage is made in a wonderful place. And I will tell you clearly, I do not agree with everything that woman does. I mean, let's be honest about it. I'm married three days. Three days I'm married. I come down into our, our, our kitchen in Colorado Springs, and there's Teresa getting together a Cap'n Crunch and a glass of milk. Okay, now, I grew up in a good Christian home. Okay? Good values. And here's this woman. She also grew up in a good Christian home, but she's got this bowl of, of, of Captain Crunch and milk. And you know what she does to her milk? You know what she does to her milk. She pours a glass of milk and then drops three or four ice cubes in it. Who does that? And I said, what is that all about? She says, I don't like milk and it's, unless it's really cold. And then, I'm from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, right? She drops a bunch of ice cubes in her Captain Crunch. Who does that? Now, if, if I was bound to agreeing with everything that wonderful woman did, on day three, I'd be having to pack my bags and leave. Do you understand what I'm saying here? We're not going to agree with everything anyone, anyone does. I, I got another one to you, too. Guys, you get this. Here's another thing. I don't understand this at all. Five, six times a day. Seat up, seat down. Seat up, seat down. Why is this the rule? I don't agree. It doesn't matter. If I had to agree with everything, you all know that. If we had to agree with everything, I would have never affiliated. I couldn't affiliate. No one ever agrees with everything the church does. Of course we don't. We can't. At some level, the church has some humanity in it. That's one of the things when people say, well, I can't agree. I can't become part of the church because I don't agree with everything it does. So I hope that helps you put some of that in perspective. The second thing that people will often tell me to say is, look, you know, when they don't want to affiliate with the church, they say, look, I don't need to get up in front of everybody. I don't need to get up in front of everybody. I don't, I don't need to stand in front of everybody. God knows my heart. 
Amen. This is true. I don't debate that at all. That is absolutely the first step. It is also true in Scripture. Read it carefully. I know your pastors and leaders know this part of Scripture. We read the Scriptures daily. We study it. It is also true in Scriptures that if you commit your heart to Jesus Christ, you must publicly confess your faith. It's in there, right? I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the book, second graders. Look for it. Read it. It's in there. It's also simply true that our faith is lived out better together. We are better in community. We can't hide it under a bushel. We've, we've, we've talked about these things. So again, think about it this way. Think about your, you know, you say, well, I don't need to stand up in front of everybody. Have you ever heard this outside of television? Hey, 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 hey. Let's get married, but let it just be our little secret. Have you ever been to a wedding today? <laughs> There's no secret in weddings. There's no secret out there. We, 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 we might say, well, I don't need to stand up in front of, I don't need a piece of paper just to get married. No, of course you do not need a piece of paper to say that you're married. But you do need to stand somewhere and state the intentions of your life and vow everything you are and everything you're going to be to another person. And you also need to make that covenant with them if you desire to get married. It is powerfully awesome affiliation if you've ever been married. If you've ever been married, you know it's a powerfully awesome affiliation. You know that if your marriage worked, and you know that if your marriage had difficulties in it. You know it's powerful because it affects you so much. And I think the same is true with our faith life to a greater degree. We do at some point need to get up in front of everyone. So obviously, okay, after all that, which is really just setting the table for where we're going to go in the next few months. Obviously, you might say, the pastor wants everyone to affiliate and become a member of First United Methodist Church. Duh and yes. Okay, not just you all. Everybody in town. I would love for everybody in town to be part of First United Methodist Church. However, I want to say this very carefully. So if you're a visitor or guest with us and you're just, you know, like rehearsing where you might want to be part of the church. However, if you have not taken the membership class, if you have not been baptized, if you've not, um, you know, gone to confirmation or something, but you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a member of Christ. And at least during this season of your life, or at least on this Sunday morning, you are affiliated with this particular church for this season of your life. So, so I want to talk to you about that for a little while. And this leads us to where we're going to go the next few months, because what we're going to talk about is what we as Christians must offer to participate in the transformation of the world for Jesus Christ. Now, I want to look at the mission statement of the United Methodist Church. It's up there on the board. The mission statement of the United Methodist Church comes out of the book of discipline. That is our book of, of, of rules, regulations, theological statement, and our history. The mission statement of the United Methodist Church is this. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's pretty clear. We're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And then it goes on to say, local churches provide the most significant arena through which disciple-making occurs. Now, I got to thinking about that this week because I knew I was going to influence that sermon. I said, well, what does disciple-making look like? And I had this dream. You know, it's one of those dreams, like, between when you just a little bit fall asleep and when you fall all the way asleep, I had this dream, and it was of Pastor Keith, okay? And he was, but he had morphed. 
He had, a, he had a big sign over him that said Disciple Making Lab, you know, and he had morphed into one of those big, giant, cufflink, wearing, big hair evangelists, and he was, you know, making disciples in there. No, I didn't have that dream. I'm just kidding. It was just fun to have you look at somebody else for a minute. But, but next week, Keith's going to come back with some giant cufflinks on. I know it for, for a fact. But, but that's not what disciple making is about. It's not some mad scientist, whoa, we're making disciples. Making disciples of Jesus Christ in the, in, in the church, in the context of the local church, is embracing and encouraging certain kinds of, of behaviors, certain kinds of, uh, of growth, certain times of, of things. So as members, when we say, will you faithfully participate in, in the ministries of the church by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your witness, and your service, we ask ourselves, how does that play out? And I know that any of you have been at my church, the church I pastored at, you might be asking, Pastor, we've heard this message before. Why do we keep hearing this same message? Well, let me give you an example from yesterday. Did any of you, are any of you aware of a football game yesterday? The one that, okay, okay. So, you know, it doesn't matter what side you fit on because here's the thing. Football teams wake up every day and they go to practice. And sometimes they do the same drills over and over and over again. And you say, why do we do the same drills over and over and over again? Because in the context of football, they want to get things to where they're perfect. Okay? Can you imagine tomorrow, Coach Ferentz out there saying, all right, receivers, make a diamond with your hands. Watch the ball all the way in. Can you not, have they not heard that since they were eight? I mean, that's how you catch a football. Make a diamond with your hands. Catch it, pull it all the way in. They're going to hear that over and over and over again. But coach, we're 20 years old. We've heard it before. And they say, proof is in the pudding, right? We want to get the results we want, and so we execute over. And I know Coach Rhodes has got the same kind of elementary problems over there in Iowa State. But football teams do things over and over and over again because they want to, they want to execute to perfection the things that they're all about. So when pastors and leaders of the church sometimes speak about the same thing and give the same message, it's because we need to execute to perfection its message. So I want to look at what's called Jesus' other prayer. You know, you know Jesus' prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We know about that one. We've, we've heard a lot about that one. We've even memorized it. We know about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. But the longest prayer in, in number of words and texts in, in the Scripture by Jesus is John chapter 17 and some words around that. And this is Jesus' other prayer. And the heart of Jesus' prayer in, in John chapter 17 is the transformation of the world through the sending and the adding of disciples. Through the sending and the adding. Look, look what he says in John chapter 17, verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Have you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. That's about sending. You sent me, God, now I send them. You know, it would have been nice, and Jesus even says that in the prayer. He says, I'm not going to protect them. Wouldn't it be so cool if our God would just scoop us up and just hold us from being harmed? But that's not what God does. And the Lord knows that. And so when the Lord comes, I don't ask you to protect them from the world. I ask you to send them into the world. So sending. Sending disciples for transformation of the world. The second thing Jesus says in his prayer 
is he's in John chapter 17, verse 20, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in their message, who will believe in my message, that all of them may be one, Father, as you and I are one, so may they be one in us. Jesus prays for the adding of disciples. You, you heard Lori talk about how much she loves addition. Jesus loves addition way more than Lori Mortensen. He says, I send my people so that they might add more. And we look at the people we know and say, well, we're not sure if any of them want to be added to us. Well, of course not. But here's where we're going. When we talk about discipleship and the transformation of the world, here's where we're going in the next few weeks. Here's what Pastor Keith and I are going to do. First, we're going to talk about prayers. We're going to talk about how you can come to God. We're going to talk about how Jesus tells you to come to God. And we're going to say something, and I want you to write this down in your mind. Either Keith or I are going to make this claim. We're going to make a 100% claim. You know, I was told when I was young, there was kind of this expression, apple a day keeps the doctor away. You ever heard that? How many of you eat an apple a day? I do. I have been to the doctor. And I eat an apple every single day. And I like my doctor, but I eat an apple every single day. And so that adage, that old adage, is not 100% been truthful it's probably had a great degree of success but not 100 percent. let me tell you something that we're going to tell you that's 100 percent effective pastor keith or i will make the prayer the the the, the claim right here that prayer is 100 percent effective 100 percent effective we're also going to talk about how to pray when we pray in community when we pray as community when we pray for the community then we're going to talk about presence we're going to talk about the simple fact that you need to be here in worship. You know, you need to be here in worship to, to, to be with other Christians. And we need you to be here in worship. The pastors plus each other so that we might be inspired by you, so that we might be encouraged by you, that we might be challenged by you. And we're going to talk about gifts. And we're going to talk about giving gifts without apology and without exceptions. I, every, you know, you guys have heard this, that every year I go to camp. And this year at camp, and Pastor Keith was there, some of the youth were there too. In my camp sermon, I said, look, you've got to give your gifts to God. I am so tired of you being takers. I said it to youth. It, and, and sometimes we adults need to know that, is the world is full of takers. We need to stop being takers and up our giving. Up our giving. People will tell me, from time to time, oh, I can't come to church. I don't get anything out of it. What did you give to it so that you might get out of it something? Needs to be, the question needs to be asked. We need to, to give ourselves to God in ways that are maybe, offer ourselves to Christ maybe in ways that we have not yet. And we do need to close on the fact that we need to give God what we have. We need to look at our treasure chests of money and stuff and say, am I giving God gifts that represent us? You know, my, I don't have any problem admitting to you, and I've said it before, my wife and I, during the three years campaign, the, the Believe campaign, are giving over $25,000 to the church in, in those years. While we have two students in college, while we have a house payment to make, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying that because it's better than you or not, because some of you give a lot more than me, praise God, and some of you can't. But what we did do is saying, what represents us to God? What represents us to God, and how much of our bucks do we have to get? And how much longer do we have to drive an old car rather than a new car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Those are our decisions to make. And we also need to look inside our time and say, how much of our time are we giving to God? We really need to dig into that and say, am I giving the amount of time that God 
that, that, that represents my love for God? Am I giving my time to God, whether it's through Scripture, through service, all those kind of things? Am I giving any time at all to God, or am I just, frankly, hoping for the best? And how much of my talent? This is one of the things, and if you're new in our church, especially in our church staff, you were always amazed at the level of talent that there is in this church and how much stuff you guys know and how much stuff you people can do. And we have to look at our own talents and say, am I giving them to God? Am I giving them in useful ways? We're going to talk about how we witness to other people. We're going to talk about the first important thing to do is to receive the witness of Jesus Christ in your own life, to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and receive him into your heart. And then we're going to talk about how we have to walk our witness. We have to do what, we have to do what Christ asks us to do. And then we're going to talk about how you need to talk your witness, is that we have to speak the truth of what God is. And we have to get ready to testify to Jesus and tell our own people what we feel about the Lord. And lastly, we're going to talk about service, about how we serve the church of Jesus Christ and how we serve the world. And we're, I, I know that if I'm preaching that day, and I'm not sure if I am, I'm going to talk about how every day needs to be a mission trip. We don't need to go to Africa, we don't, although you might be called to. Don't need to go to Columbus, Ohio, though you might be called to. Your mission trip is the day you wake, from the moment you wake up till the moment you sit down and, and go to sleep at night. Our whole life needs to be a, a mission trip and how we need to serve the entire world. Now, we're just getting started. We're going to have several months all the way up to Advent with this. But for this, I'm sure. Of this, I'm absolutely sure. If we as Christians offer with our greatest fidelity our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our witness, and our service to the Christ and to his world, I am sure the world in which I will be uh, a part of will be transformed in our generations and millions, millions of disciples will be made. And that's what I get up for every single day. And I'm glad that you're on line with us and we look forward to teaching you how we might be more effective in that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for time together in worship today. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you and, and love you. And we ask, Lord, that, that we truly might offer our prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness to you so that disciples might be made and this world might be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.